Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me, too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching the message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him, as I should. To bring you up to date, Tychicus will give you a full report about what I am doing and how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Brenda. Well, here we are. The very last message in our deeper series. Six chapters, seven months, 26 messages. But none of you are counting, right? We have mined the depths of this incredible letter and have found gold throughout. The first three chapters laid a theological foundation. The last three practically applied that theology to how we should then live within the church, within marriage, within families, within our places of employment. And most recently, we spent four weeks understanding spiritual warfare and the spiritual armor that God provides for us. So as we consider these last seven verses this morning, the ones that uh, Brenda just read for us, we think about the importance of last words. Saying goodbye and I love you before leaving for school or heading to work. Good night, I love you as you tuck your children into bed. Or maybe texting them because you're going to bed and they're not home yet. Cherishing the last words of a loved one before they pass away. As the Apostle Paul closes this letter, he chooses his words carefully and wisely. They are not somehow more important than what he has already written, but they do carry great significance. We will see how he underscores the critical importance of prayer and how he summarizes the whole letter with just a few key words. Now, I should just clarify that when I titled this message, Famous Last Words, I was not at all thinking of this in terms of sort of negative terms, like, uh, you know, some fool saying something that you look at him later and go, as if, famous last words, like, those will never come true, that will never happen. Don't think about it that way. Think about it simply from the perspective of the significance of these last words and how important they are. Because in these words, Paul stresses the importance of prayer. Having just reminded the Ephesians that they should daily put on the armor of God so that they can stand firm against this spiritual mafia that we have been referring to, the Apostle Paul adds this final command. Pray. Pray in the Spirit. It's almost as if he knew that if they were ever to realize victory over Satan and his demons, this spiritual mafia that we've been referring to that it will demand an unceasing and diligent commitment to prayer. 
Now, prayer is not another piece of spiritual armor, but it is, in fact, the way that believers put on God's armor and stand firm. Prayer, goes without saying, is that it is as important to our spiritual lives as breathing is to our physical lives. Simply put, prayer is the Christian's most powerful resource. In fact, Martin Luther is quoted as saying, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. So we understand how important it is, but we also can all appreciate a a little bit of the battle that it seems that it often is. And it is a battle because we have this enemy that we have uh, talked about in recent weeks, and this enemy is fully aware of how important it is. So he seeks to undermine it, minimize it, and even trivialize it. Paul Washer has said, One of the greatest attacks of the enemy is to make you busy, to make you hurried, to make you noisy, to make you distracted, to fill the people of God and the church of God with so much noise and activity that there is no room for prayer. There is no room for being alone with God. There is no room for silence. There is no room for meditation. And the Apostle Paul knew this. So with his final words, he puts an exclamation point on prayer. And this whole letter crescendos with the importance of prayer as the final theme. Prayer, in fact, is just simply an expression of our dependence on God. We, through prayer, we express how dependent we are on God. When we don't pray, we are essentially saying, look, I got this. I'm good. I don't need anything. And I don't even need God. And in some ways, that might be true because we can easily be self-satisfied, secure. We have so much. What is it that we have to depend on? And we can so easily fall into the trap of presuming on God instead of depending on God. If we have all that we need, maybe even more than what we need, why would we ever trust God to provide for us? Do we really need to live dependent on God when we are so self-sufficient? I heard a story one time uh, about a pastor from China who was visiting the United States. And he was being toured around to several large churches. And he saw these impressive campuses and he heard about all the impactful ministries. And after visiting several churches, the man that was leading him on this tour asked this pastor from China, What do you think about the church in America? And he paused and he says, well, I'm actually quite impressed with all the success that you have without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's convicting. Because when ministry becomes all about man's creativity and man's ingenuity and man's methods and even man's generosity, when we begin to practically function as if God were not necessary... That is a dangerous place to be. Because then it is no longer about a passionate walk with Jesus and a deep dependence on God. And that is why the Apostle Paul ends this great letter with an urgent call to prayer. As one commentator put it so well, he said this, Ephesians begins by lifting us up to the heavenlies and ends by pulling us down to our knees. 
It's almost as if Paul doesn't want us to think that just because we have all of these spiritual blessings and all of these spiritual resources, especially in what we looked at most recently, the armor of God, that we can then live the Christian life without continual dependence on him and help from God. You see, many Christians live less than the abundant life that Jesus offers, and it is often the direct result of prayerlessness. We simply cannot overstate the importance of prayer. It's so vital. So what about the instruction on prayer? Verse 18 provides all of the instruction on prayer that we need. It's a simple, straightforward verse that in the New Living Translation reads this way. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. The New International Version is a little more detailed. It reads this way. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And there are four alls that help teach us about prayer. And they address four basic elements about prayer. When do we pray? How do we pray? How often do we pray? And for whom do we pray? So first, when to pray. Paul's answer is clear. He says, pray on all occasions. All occasions. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion, he says. We pray during our worship service. We probably pray before we eat. We, We probably pray when we are in trouble. We probably pray when we have a big need. We probably pray when we're sick. Sadly, though, in many ways, prayer becomes a last resort instead of an instinctive, natural response to every situation. Because Paul is saying that in every and all situations, we should pray. If things are good, we should give thanks to God. If we are sad, we should pray about that too. We should pray when we write an exam at school. We should pray when we face a sticky situation at work. We should pray when we sneak into our kids' rooms while they are sleeping. We should pray if they're out late with their friends. We should pray at all times. Having set times during the day to pray is helpful. David said in Psalm 55, verse 17, Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. The Jewish people had several prescribed prescribed times of daily prayer. And today there is a return to the ancient spiritual practice of the daily office, praying very specifically at morning, noon, and evening. This practice is super helpful in remembering God's presence throughout the day because we know how easy it is for us to just uh, throw ourselves headlong into whatever we're doing and we simply neglect prayer. But if we are to be a people of prayer, if we are to be a people who are passionately walking with Jesus, it is a relationship that needs to be cultivated on an ongoing basis. Jesus himself said to his disciples that they should always be alert at all times, praying. In Acts 2, we're told that the the first Christians continually devoted themselves to prayer. We are instructed elsewhere to pray continually. And that is why Bible reading and prayer go hand in hand. Because as we learn more about God through his word, then it will motivate us to know him more personally. 
Jesus' prayer for his disciples was not that they would just know more about God and have more knowledge, but that they would know you, he says in John 17, verse 3. That they would know you personally, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. That we would know Jesus personally, relationally, And studying God's word will motivate the follower of Jesus to want to know Jesus more intimately and to spend time with him more faithfully in prayer. And in a growing and vital relationship, we communicate continually, always, at all times. Now that doesn't mean that we have to pray in a specific place and at specific times, although that is super helpful and encouraged. But what it does mean is that we always live in an awareness of God's presence. Brother Lawrence, a monk, called it practicing the presence of God. This is when everything we see and everything we experience becomes prayer. Washing the dishes can be a a time of prayer. Cleaning the house, washing the car, cutting the grass. Every activity that we go through in life can be an occasion for prayer. We're capable of multitasking, aren't we? So we can do it in prayer. Where we turn our attention and our thoughts to God at all times. That is when we pray. Secondly, how to pray. He says this, he says, with all kinds of prayers and requests. So he's almost saying that like there are general requests that are prayers, and and then there are specific requests, or sorry, specific prayers that are requests. It's so confusing, I confused myself when I said that. But, But Paul uses two different words here to emphasize that we should pray all kinds of prayers. This could mean public or private, loud cries or soft whispers, planned or spontaneous. This could mean praying while sitting, standing, kneeling, driving, or even while while uh, lying down. Hands folded or hands raised, eyes open or eyes closed. There's no set way to pray. We can pray wherever we are, whenever we want. And that's what Paul is going on here when he says and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Prayers and requests. You could say that prayers would include the requests, but requests do not necessarily exhaust the prayers. Let me explain that. Because I'm sure that many of you have heard of a little prayer acrostic. I think you know what an acrostic is. If you don't, you'll, you'll learn about this real quick. Now, if you've heard, heard about this, I hope this is just a simple reminder of the different types of, of prayer. But if you never have, my hope is that this will be helpful in helping you learn how to pray. Now, let me just say before I say anything about that, it's not meant to provide a formula for effective prayer. It's just a simple way to remember some of the basic themes or types of prayer. And ACT simply stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplications. Uh, Supplications. It's an uncommon word, but we needed an S, okay? Um, Somewhere, sometime, when whoever put this together, that's the best they could come up with. And I honestly, believe me, I've checked my thesaurus for a better word, and I can't find it. 
So it's requests. Sorry, it's supplications, because we need an S, but it means requests. When we pray all kinds of prayers, these four themes pretty much capture the main ones. Let's talk about them for a moment. Adoration. See, adoration is always a good place to start. Because it means simply that we begin our prayer by praising God. We place ourselves or we remind ourselves that we are under God's authority. I often find myself just being reminded that God is everywhere present, is all-knowing, and is all-powerful. That is, as theologians might say, omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. And the resources of this incredible God are at our disposal. And not that it's just about the resources that we can have. It's about the relationship. Because it says Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's immediately praising him. Hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. When we begin to pray our prayer with Heavenly Father, we're immediately reminding ourselves that although He is transcendent, He is our Father. And He cares for us. And He hears us. And by His Spirit is near us. In fact, within us. You talk about a close relationship. And before we even say a word, He already knows And more incredible, he is able. And so that's why we begin by worshiping him, by praising him, by declaring his glory and his majesty. Because if prayer is little more than, hey God, this is what I need, or this is what I want, we'll never ever really enter deeply into the relationship that he desires to have with us. So adoration. Second word is confession. It's almost logical to think that, that if we come into the presence of a, of a holy, holy, holy God, that we're quickly reminded about our, unho- our own unholiness. Almost immediately, past sin will come into our minds, and sin then simply requires confession and repentance. We just have to deal with it. In Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Listen. The Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Now that that might be a little bit of an unsettling verse, so let me explain it a little bit. Because all I want to say is this, that sin affects our relationship with God. And my favorite and kind of go-to illustration, so so if you've heard this before, I hope it's just a reminder. And if you've forgotten, uh, that's all the better. But don't forget it after today, okay? Imagine your parents are going to be gone for the weekend. And you're home alone. And you're 18. And you have your driver's license. And they've got an old beater for you to drive and a BMW in the garage. And they say, do not drive the BMW. Parents go away for the weekend. You know that they're not going to be around. How are they ever going to know that I took out the BMW? So you take out the BMW. Only problem is, you get into a little bit of a fender bender. Now what are you going to do? They're coming back on Monday. You don't have time to fix it or buff out that dent. 
You park it in the garage, and you probably wait for the worst. Dad comes home. He goes into the garage. It takes him a little longer to come out of the garage, and you know exactly why. He comes in, and he doesn't say anything to you. But he doesn't say hello. There's something's off. You know what it is, and he now knows what it is. He's never stopped being your dad. And finally you break, and you say, Dad, I'm sorry. I took the BMW, and I had an accident. And he says, I know, son. I love you. Now you're going to fix the car. (laughs) Sin affects our relationship with God. It doesn't break our relationship. But if we confess our sins to him, the scripture says in 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And so we begin with adoration, confession. Thirdly, thanksgiving. It's another type of prayer. And in many ways now, it continues this flow from confession because the first thing we should do is thank Him for the forgiveness of sins. We thank Him for His tender mercy. We thank Him for His grace. We thank Him for His love. I know I often sound probably redundant in my prayers because I'm simply overwhelmed with with gratitude for this like trifecta of grace, love, and mercy. Somehow those three words almost always find their way into, into my prayers. But here's a challenge for you. When you pray this week, when you're going through your, your day, seek to cultivate an attitude of gratefulness. Instead of complaining about the traffic jam you're in, thank him that you have a car to drive. Maybe it's your dad's BMW. Then thank God for your, for your dad. But if you're sitting down for a specific time of prayer, thank God, try this, for at least 10 things before you even move on to anything else. And in some, they'll flow quickly, and then the next day, but just think through the day and all the things that you can be thankful for and cultivate this attitude of thanksgiving. And then you move on to supplications or requests. You see the progression again? We adore God for who he is and what he has done. We confess our sins. We thank him for all that he has done and all that he has provided. And then we bring our requests to him, our needs. This is asking, as Jesus again taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We've already prayed and we've acknowledged him as Lord. We've declared his sovereignty, perhaps. We've reminded ourselves that he reigns and, and he's in control. And then we can ask for things according to his will. And the main thing is that we don't always just start here with our needs. Sure, there are times when it's urgent and we need to ask immediately, but that shouldn't become the normal pattern. But God is not ever evaluating our prayers. You realize that? He's not ever going, oh, that was a good word. Oh, no, wrong word there. He, he, he doesn't do it to determine if we're following acts. Oh, you did it out of order. Okay, that's not what I'm getting at. The point is that through prayer, we cultivate a relationship with God. And we don't build relationships by always asking or even demanding that our needs are met. 
And so how do we pray? Well, with all kinds of prayers and requests. Thirdly, how often should we pray? And the answer is straightforward. Always. Now, you see what I did there? I mean, that's pretty clever. Um, Don't think I misspelled that. I did that on purpose. But he says, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. So we don't just pray on all occasions or every situation with all kinds of prayers and requests. We are to pray always. Always. I've already touched on this a little when we considered when we should pray. But, but Paul here is stressing the idea that we are to pray always and that we should be persistent in our praying. This means that prayer should just be a natural and consistent part of our lives and not just some last desperate resort. Because we are to be a people of prayer. And when you have a people of prayer, you have a church of prayer. Prayer then becomes automatic. It's not a ritual. It's just automatic. It, It becomes the first thing we do, not the last. Right? It's just natural then for us to pray. And so often... The barrier for most people to pray is that they don't think that they have the gift or that they just aren't very good at it. You want to learn how to pray? You pray. You just pray. You talk to God. And you cultivate this this rich awareness of his constant presence with you. So as you're changing your child's diaper, you can pray for that child at that moment that they would continue to grow and to develop physically, but that they will also come to know Jesus at an early age. When you're cut off in traffic, rather than getting frustrated and think that, you know, that's just some selfish jerk, you pray because maybe he has to hurry home to a sick child or a wife who's about to give birth. Or maybe he is just self-absorbed. But either way, God knows. God knows. And so we pray. Because we don't know what the situation really is. Here's a a practice to try. Let the news that you watch or read or listen to or whatever, may it prompt our prayers. Right? Simply... Pray about the things that you hear and read about. And so as you're watching the news at night and and you see a story about the, 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 the BC fires and all of what's happening there as it has been this last week, it's just an easy prompt to pray for, for those fires and the firefighters and all those affected, that they would be safe and that rain would come and it would douse those those flames. I prayed about and mentioned about the situation in, in India. So all throughout the news. Because we know, right? The news is usually what? Bad news. It's horrible stuff. It's, 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 it's terrible situations. But we can watch the news, and that just can become a constant communication with God as we pray for all those things. So we're always praying. And fourthly then, who do we pray for? It says, for all the Lord's people, or for all believers everywhere. See, that, that's a lot of people, right? But the point is, is not so much to, to pray for these people by name, although you may want to pray for them by, by, name, by name, and so you have a list that you put together of specific people that you want to pray for. But we can pray generally, in general terms, for Christians all over the world, everywhere. In China, in Africa, in Latin America. 
Pray for those who are suffering, for those who are persecuted, for those in positions of political influence. Even in general terms, the list can end up being quite long. But the point is that we may need to educate ourselves about the needs around the world so that we can pray more effectively. And while Paul is saying that we should pray for believers specifically, he's not at all saying that we shouldn't pray for those who do not yet know Jesus. Friends, we want TCC to be a church of prayer for the very reasons that we're talking about here today. We are continually thinking of ways to make sure that prayer is an actual value at TCC and not just one that we talk about. We have many opportunities to pray. We pray before the service, during the service, after the service. As a staff, we meet Monday mornings to pray for one another and for the ministry in in general terms. And then we meet again on Tuesday morning specifically to pray for the requests that you write in the friendship books or other needs that that we are aware of. Tuesday morning, starting in September again, there'll be an early morning men's prayer. We have prayer summits. We pray at home groups. We pray at other meetings. And one of the things that I occasionally see, and I have to tell you as a pastor, my heart just kind of soars when I see it happening. It's when people have shared brunch together. And maybe something difficult, something personal, or maybe something joyful was shared, and you see them gather around and pray for one another. Let's continue to do that. And do that more and more as a church. Now let me just quickly point out a couple of things about the remaining six verses. Um, Because verse 18 reminded us now of the importance of prayer. It instructed us on prayer. But verse 19 now provides the illustration of prayer. Paul simply states this. says, and pray for me too. And pray for me too. What's interesting to note is what what Paul asks the Ephesian church to pray for. Now, you, you, you probably noticed when Brenda read that, and it was up on the screen, that, that, that he is in prison. He is shackled by chains. But he doesn't say, pray that my suffering would end and I would be released from these chains and freed from prison. He doesn't ask that. He prays this. He says, ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in change now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Isn't that incredible? There's no woe is me. There's no complaining about his suffering or his situation. He says, just pray so that I can share the gospel with the people that are feeding me or or looking after my wounds or whatever they're doing, the relationships that I have, because I see that I am an ambassador for the gospel, even in this situation. So pray for me. Think about what he's asking for. I mean, Paul was used of God in powerful ways, and and yet he believed that his work would be ineffective unless Christians prayed for him. I mean, he, he asks that they ask God on his behalf to just give me the right words. 
Give me the right words. Think about it. Paul was a smart guy. He was a scholar. He was eloquent with words. He was a master of words. We have many examples of his writing in the New Testimony. And yet he knew that he needed God's help and blessing in order that he might choose the right words that would be effective in reaching others. And then he asked them to pray so that he will keep on speaking boldly. Some translations use the word fearlessly. And, and when you think about Paul's life, if you've read through, you know, Acts and, and some of the letters, it seems to me like Paul was probably a pretty bold guy, <laughs> as it was. Fearless before rioting mobs, before powerful kings, and in the face of natural disasters, and even in prison facing death. But yet he asks them to pray for boldness. Friends, in thinking about this, can I just simply ask you to do this? Pray for our staff. Pray for our leadership. The reality is that we are on the front lines of ministry. And I say that not to be dramatic or or cry a little sob story. The fact is, I know the hearts of our staff. They want to see lives transformed by the gospel, full stop. And when that is your desire, the enemy attacks in all sorts of ways. And the enemy has a a particular scheme, I believe, to target leaders of churches. And sometimes it makes the news. Because if he can take out the leaders... The collateral damage is usually extensive. And I know you do pray. I'm just asking that you do it more and more. Just some final words and a closing benediction. So Paul closes now with just these few closing remarks. And I think his mind is still on prayer because he tells them that Tychicus, the one who would hand-deliver this letter to them. He was the the messenger, as it were. And he says that he's going to fill them in on specifically what I am doing and how I'm getting along. So he doesn't write an update about his personal situation. He just says, my beloved brother is going to tell you about this. And when when, when he tells them about this, then they will know how they can pray for Paul very specifically. And then he closes by praying for them. Just listen to these words. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters. And may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. That is essentially what he prayed for them at the beginning of the letter. But it really is an excellent summary of what Paul wanted most for the churches at, at Ephesus and by extension for us. Peace, love, faith, and grace. In fact, the love of God, the love of Jesus, and Christian love expressed to one another have been major themes throughout the letter. Oh, may this be true of TCC, that we would be a people of prayer, 
so that we would be a church of prayer, so that we would see the gospel have a significant impact on our lives and on our community, and that we would be a church marked by grace and faith and love and peace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And I thank you for your church. Father, you have blessed us. You've provided for us. You're doing so many good things. But Lord, our desire is that each of us, as each of us grows in our personal walk with you, that that would then overflow into our worship and into our prayer. Father, the way that we live our lives during the week is often expressed in the way that we gather here and the way that we raise our voices together. And it's a wonderful, powerful thing. I thank you, God, for the people who so desperately desire to know you, to know you deeply, to experience you deeply, to not just have head knowledge about you, but, but to have a, a heart connection with the God of the universe through his Son, Jesus Christ, and in his Spirit. Because we believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so God, may you continue to work in us peace and love and faith and grace. In Jesus' name we pray.